gotta question the voices of resin I hear Oh, Plastics. Plastics is an SPE-sponsored podcast. Hey, I'm Mercedes Landazuri. I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our powers combined, we are Plastics. Plastics. (laughs) The voices of resin. That's us. (laughs) Always us. So I am a Color Lab Technology Director at Peacock Colors and serve on a few boards for SPE, including color appearance and recycling. I am a plastics engineer at Tech Tank in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I am the vice president of membership engagement for SBE and a couple other, couple other fun boards. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's so yes, this podcast Plastics is uh, is just a a podcast we uh, we like to take about half an hour and and uh, have a special guest on every time and. Uh, hear about people who are doing exciting stuff in the world of of plastics um, and plastics uh, uh, related fields as well. Um, You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those uh, all those fun spaces. Um, And our podcasts are released by SPE the first Friday of every month. Yes. So it gets really exciting. Hit subscribe, like, share, comment. Um, if you have any any guests or any any ideas, put those in the comments. Uh, we will we will see those uh, yep. definitely on on uh, on the um, Apple Podcasts or follow sure. us on Instagram and all that jazz. And right. we'll, we'll, well, I don't know what we're, that will respond, but we'll at least see it. We'll see it. We'll see, we'll it. see it. We will. We'll yeah, it. we'll see it's it. Fine. We'll look. We'll look. um and today we have uh an international guest this makes us very international we're very international this is not i don't mean no no affront if if, yeah i guess people map is a slam see it i'm in my boss's office and i have a map of the united states behind me for everyone listening at home or in their car but um it's not an affront to our international guests well and you know and i i do consider myself a little a little Canadian, um, just given that I grew up in Buffalo. So, you know, Canadian television, Don Cherry's my man, uh, you know, <laughs> all, all that. Um, Good but, to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> um, so today our guest is Elena Mantegaris. I did it. You got um, it. <laughs> and she is the vice president of the plastics division of the Chemistry Industry Association of Canada. So Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here, both of you. I'm delighted. Wonderful. Um, so, uh, Elena, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into working with the uh, Canadian government and plastics. So, um, well, a little bit of my background. I've been involved in public policy, the public policy space for a long time. Started out as a public servant, working with the federal government, um, believing, like uh, like many citizens, that we can contribute to the country we live in, right, by doing good work. And right now, I mean, I've had a, a varied trajectory. I've worked in the cultural sector. I've worked in the nuclear sector, uh, iron ore sector. And now I find myself in the plastic sector and uh, working for the plastics, essentially the industry association for the plastic sector in Canada. We're a division, specifically a plastics division within the Chemistry Industry Association in Canada. So it's been a a, a long trajectory, but what's been interesting about my my career path is that it's uh, always been 
large initiatives. You can appreciate uh, working in government in any file takes a lot of relationship building and partnership building. Working in nuclear is a socially contentious issue and not everyone understands that sector. Um, and I was I worked with governments in there and then working in plastics, which, you know, is is another amazing sector. And yet we find ourselves today facing a lot of uh, public debate about plastics and a lot of misinformation about plastics. Yeah, so, I was I was yeah. going to say a nuclear and plastics. I feel like those are two hot button. Do you I mean, not to interrupt your answer here, but is one of those more hotly contested or is it just over time the kind of shift is who's well it's different right i bet you if we were living in the 60s and 70s nuclear would be really front and center in the public Mm -hmm. debate right and in canada we have a number of nuclear power plant facilities that are very safe and, and operate really well um, so, you know, there's a, there's a difference of opinions, but it's less front and center as a public debate right now. Whereas plastics, you know, anyone who's watched The Graduate, the movie, all heard that final line, right? Plastics is the future. And, and so if you were in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you wouldn't have had plastics as part of a public debate. It would have been the backdrop of your life as it is the backdrop of all of our lives right now, because so many of the, the products we use and have in our homes and, 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 you know, have as, as so many different products out there, it's integrating all of that. But now it's become a public debate issue because I think for a number of different reasons, which I guess we'll get into today. But so I'd say the plastics one is much more front and center in in that in that way. And so there's um, a lot more uh, reaction, both publicly and within governments to it, because everyone's trying to figure out what's the right response to addressing plastics without necessarily understanding the full value and role of plastics. And there's a lot of reaction happening. So I'm hoping in our conversation today, we'll be able to unpack where some of that reaction is coming from, but where some of those misunderstandings are coming from mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So already, already uh, on tangents, but, but I think that's a good thing. The um, the way that you, you explained it is like, well, you know, in the 60s, it would have been the backdrop and now it still is the backdrop, but in a different way. And there are these debates. I always liken it to, you know, the the um, the Greek uh, author uh, Homer, you know, in his in in um, the Odyssey, the Iliad, his writings, you know, he's, he's known for his use of, of color. He's talking. I work in color, so I think about this a lot. <laughs> but he talks about I remember reading it in high school and hearing like the wine red sea and the rosy fingered dawn. And I'm like, well, the sky's blue and the and the water's blue. What's the deal here? But in language, how how colors come get names, it's it's an order. And actually, so it's light and dark or black and white are first and then red is next. And then green and yellow emerge around the same time. Blue comes last, you know. And uh, so when Homer was writing, he didn't have blue. And we'll go outside. The color blue is all around us. And I, so I liken that to the plastics industry. It's like we're living and this is the plastics are truly, as you said, the backdrop of our lives. But I think a lot of that the the like you said the misunderstanding comes from we're not defining them properly you know when people say oh i'm living plastics free and um and i'm taking the bus it's like that bus is made out of plastic <laughs> you know and your bus is better <laughs> for it being plastic and your sh- exactly your your bus is more fuel efficient you know um your your phone that you're taking selfies of your plastic free lifestyle couldn't exist without plastics but yes that that it's the it really is the backdrop i love that 
Love yeah, that. backdrop, keystone material. I mean, without it, I don't know how we'd have most of the products we have. And, you know, part of the discussion we're we're having as an industry, both with the public and with governments, is to is to look at the role and value of plastics in enabling our modern way of life. So whether it's the bus or the car that's lighter and more fuel efficient because of the use of plastics, whether it's the goal of having electric cars, which we'll only attain if we use plastics, or, or, whether, or, or whether it's the use of plastics in you know, um, the medical sector or in uh, the agricultural sector or as food wrap because it actually extends the shelf life of your food. And we all want different types of food from around the world at all times of the year. And one yes. of the ways we get that is by preserving it, of course, right? Maintaining its shelf life and plastics helps us do that. So there are a lot of ways that we say plastics enables our modern way of life, but it also helps us achieve our sustainability goals. And if we don't recognize how important plastics is in achieving our sustainability goals, we may be inadvertently shooting ourselves in the foot. When we talk about alternatives to plastics, so often people don't realize that those alternatives have a much higher environmental footprint than plastic itself. So it's not just that it's a miracle product, right, which is durable, which you know can withstand extremes of heat and cold and sustain itself, and the fact that it's light is so important. Um, so it's, it's not, and it's cost effective to produce, right? From an energy efficiency perspective, when we think of all the energy that goes into making a lot of products, right. but it's also the material that helps us achieve those broader sustainability goals. And so we, we need to make sure we're recognizing that value of plastics when we're making longer term decisions around how do we manage plastic waste, which is where a lot of the public discussion has been going these days, um, whether it's in Canada or the United States. So um, with, you know, the sustainability and kind of becoming part of our, you know, modern life, there's also that other key phrase that's thrown around, which is the circular economy, um, which is kind of the looping of the sustainability. So how do we, you know, what do we need to do to, you know, turn those from keywords into um, actionable items or, you know, next steps? Really great question. And I, I wish the answer was simple. Uh, <laughs> don't have and it it's written not. down? <laughs> yeah, no, don't have it in little crib notes here on my hand. No, I mean, look, the way, way we try and look at it is, I, I'd almost say there's sort of three buckets we need to look at. On the front end, I'd say we need to look at product design, right? So how do we attain that circular economy? Well, we need to make sure that we're making plastic products that build in recyclability right from the get-go. Uh, because that whole circular economy is about a whole reuse and keeping the plastic molecule in the economy and making sure it doesn't end up in the environment, whether that's in landfills or as pollution, like marine debris or something like that, which none of us want to see. And we right. all have to acknowledge that there is this issue and we need right. to make sure that doesn't continue. So first off, let's let's make sure we're, we're designing products for recyclability. The second bucket of, of investment and effort that's needed is in technologies and recovery processes. So whether that's in better collection of, of uh, post-consumer plastics, I don't even like to call it waste because I'd say it's a resource, right? In a circular economy, it means you're reusing it and it's a resource. So whether it's in better collection and better sortation, I just got off another meeting talking about how our sortation facilities are just not fine enough, right? Um, somebody told me they ended up with a, a whole big bale of plastics and right in the middle of it was this, this 
like Ikea table in a plastic <laughs> bag. They were like, how did that not get sorted out, right? Not sure how that one got this slipped through. But the point is we need better sortation facilities, but we also need better investments in whether it's mechanical recycling technologies. There are clearly improvements that are out there that we need to make sure are used more broadly, better optical sensors, that kind of stuff. But then we also need advanced recycling technologies too. And then the third bucket I'd say that we really need to look at is um, around standards for recycled plastic content and around creating end markets for recycled plastic content. So if we want to achieve a circular economy, we could do number one and two. We could design great products for recyclability and invest in the best technologies. But if we don't create the end markets for recycled plastic content, we haven't succeeded. So those are the three main buckets I think we need to move forward with to get a circular economy. Yeah. And I've had that, I've had that conversation with, you know, people about, you know, well, why don't you just make things uh, out of recycled material? We would buy it. It's like, but would you buy it? Because I mean, I I know I've heard studies and I've heard people talk about it, but you know, if it's going to be cheaper in the virgin material, a lot of times a consumer who, especially who isn't thinking of that um, approach is going to go for the virgin material without even really considering any impact on that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. Sorry, I just want, there's two things in there actually that, that are a little bit different. One is a consumer choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think part of the way we get around what costs less, whether you're the producer or the consumer, is and, and what we're discussing in Canada is do we require minimum content standards for recycled plastic content? The moment you have a requirement for minimum plastic uh, recycled content, then you start to equalize the playing field between the that's cost true. of virgin plastics and the cost of recycled plastic contents, mm-hmm. right? So that's one angle uh, to get at, at this, uh, this very important issue. But how do you... so? Thinking about future problems, though, <laughs> everybody loves that. So, but so, how would that be regulated, though? How, what's to stop a, a producer, uh, you know, aside from from integrity and, and <laughs> ethics, uh, from saying that yes, this is eighty five percent recycled material when really it's virgin material? Is there? How do we solve that issue? Another great question. And the way we're starting to tackle that both in Canada and the United States is there are discussions around how do you certify the recycled plastic content and can we create a standard around certification of that plastic content? And those are discussions that we have just started engaging in with the standards organizations in Canada because we think that that's critical. The consumer is demanding more recycled plastic content. The brand owner, the companies making the products that are, let's say, con- you know, contained in plastic containers of some kind or packaging of some kind, want to respond to that consumer demand. And of course, environmental NGOs are also creating that demand. Everyone has a role. And so there's an impetus there. There's clearly a push. Now it's up to industry working with governments collaboratively to identify the systems, the technologies, and the process and standards that need to be in place to achieve what I would argue is our shared goal, which is a circular economy for plastics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the and the the 
God. And yes, I mean, exactly as you, as you lined out, okay, there's the product design and then there's technologies and the, and the, you know, designing also, you know, the better or, or assisting, you know, municipal recycling or designing better systems for that and, and updating technology. I mean, it seems like there's just, you know, some of the, some of the, um, the goals that, that uh, the soft drink companies have put forth uh, feel kind of unattainable just, just in terms of, of, of sourcing that amount of recycled material, you know? I wouldn't say it's unattainable. I think it takes time, effort, and investment. And uh, I would say on the recycled plastic content question as well is that we may want different types of, uh, not types, but rather uh, levels of recycled plastic content in different products depending Mm -hmm. on product uh, performance requirements and safety requirements. So to Lindsay's earlier comment, are you sure you want recycled plastic content? I don't know. My gut would say I want my heart valve to be 100%. (laughs) 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 Crazy. I don't know. I'm okay with my Coca-Cola bottle having whatever appropriate percentage of recycled plastic content allows it to maintain its form and function, right? (laughs) I will have different reactions to that. And I think we need to create the room to have those discussions and allow that process to play itself out. It'll take time though to figure it all out. But I think what you're hearing at least from me and the industry in Canada is a great desire to see that circular economy advance and that we're willing to be partners around the table working collaboratively with not only our sister companies if you will in the industry but also with governments to make it happen and in Canada like the U.S. we have a couple levels of government right we have federal and provincial governments you have your federal government but states in Canada the provincial governments are also very much responsible for uh, waste management and part of the discussions we're having with them is how do we not make this a waste management issue anymore? How does this become a resource economic development story, right? And one of the things we are pushing for and advocating in Canada is for industry, not municipalities, to pay for and manage the recycling system in Canada. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're pushing for that is so that we can get the economies of scale for recycling that are needed to actually achieve the goals we've been talking about. Um, And so right now with every municipality having a different recycling system, it's the same in the States, right? Does this go in the blue box or not? I don't know, right? Uh, It does here, but not there. It's very confusing. So we're trying to get more harmonized systems. Um, And also when municipalities have been managing this, it's been to your earlier point, cheaper for them to send stuff to landfill and to actually Mm. recycle it. They haven't had the budgets to invest in the technologies. So industry is working on what we call extended producer responsibility programs to actually harmonize recycling and um, and actually get them operating the way we all want them to be. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it if even you know what we're seeing now. I think Lindsay, if you agree with me too, with the in the plastics Maybe. industry specifically, you know, it's a different breed of you know the, our newest tech. One of our newest technologies in plastics is 3D printing, right? And it's kind of like a different. Uh, our 
you know, injection molders, you know, extrusion people, it seems like are, have not really embraced it. Certainly mold makers have not. Right. But it's almost like a different mindset that you see coming in with these companies like Carbon and, and Stratasys and the people who are engaged in that. And and I'm wondering with that kind of innovation, is it going to take the same like new breed, new, you know, to come in rather than just the traditional waste management people who have been handling this. If you have, I don't know, just, just thinking out loud, but it, it seems like it might take, it's such a significant change that has to happen. At least what I'm aware of, you know, in our, our facilities, it's, it's a complete mindset shift, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're raising an important point in so far as, I mean, I won't comment specifically on injection molders. That's not my area of expertise, but what I would say, (laughs) what I would say is that it's not one sector alone that is going to help realize the circular economy. It's not even just the plastic sector alone. Mm -hmm. It's going to be those manufacturers as well that have to weigh in on this whether it's right. the auto sector, whether it's the agricultural sector, the electronic sector, right? Uh, all these, you know, the beverages sector you talked about, all of these sectors that already know how valuable plastics is, but aren't necessarily on the front lines today having that public debate. I think that we all need to recognize that there's, um, call it end of life management around our products that's needed. And we need to work together to figure out what those solutions are. So whether that's existing companies or new breeds of companies that emerge as, as technologies evolve, certainly time will tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even with you mentioning the, you know, possible, you know, mandated percentage of uh, post-consumer resin, you know, I'm already thinking in my head, like, would that be, my responsibility as the, you know, um, injection molder, as the custom injection molder, am I responsible for that? Is it the, would it be easier if the um, resin suppliers, they were the ones supplying it at certain levels? Um, I mean, and that I think would require an agreement between those two groups. And I, yeah, mindset wise, I think that would require some level of push from a third party, (laughs) yeah, because I could see that going, no, it's not my responsibility. You just give me the resin or nope, it's not my responsibility. You're making the end product. You know, uh, I, I can see it both ways. Yeah, it's very complicated. So certification, traceability right. of that recycled plastic content, the chain of um, not chain of command, but the, you know, like the, where it is, who's right. responsible along that, that value chain, right? Mm-hmm. All great, uh, all great questions that uh, we're going to have to needle away at. Uh, and uh, again, we're just at the beginning of these things, but I think you're asking all the right questions. We'll, we'll have, time will tell, but uh, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, if there's a value associated with taking responsibility for that, right? Mm-hmm. For, for that uh, element of certification and traceability. And if there is, there'll be increasing demand to say, yes, I'll take responsibility for it because mm-hmm. I can guarantee something and maybe get a higher price for my recycled plastic content because of the assurance and quality assurance associated with that. Again, these are the markets that play themselves out always with guidance from a policy mm-hmm. perspective and, and where uh, both governments, but governments, of course, who simply really represent where society wants to go, right? And we, we need to recognize that. But 
I think what's important is to recognize the complexity of the issue and not force things that are like force fit, uh, that are rushed, uh, that aren't thinking through all the implications. We need to take the time to do it right so that we have the confidence in the system. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what, uh, Eleanor, what are some of the, the, uh, the exciting new projects that you're working on right now that you're able to talk about? Well, I mean, it's less the projects I'm working on. I'm representing these amazing companies and members in Canada that are doing amazing things. So, so maybe I'll, I'll highlight a couple of theirs. Great. Um, we have, you know, companies like uh, Nova Chemicals, a resin manufacturer, and Merlin Plastics. And they're working together as a plastics recycler and a resin manufacturer on creating, you know, making sure that the plastics get reused and recycled for new products. So they've got a fantastic partnership happening that I think uh, will be very impressive as it unfolds. Yeah, actually, I'm sorry, sorry, uh, Nova. uh, So actually, our most recent recent podcast episode that dropped, it was with um, friend of the pod, uh, Jonathan Quinn with Nova Chemicals. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. That's great. (laughs) Why didn't he tell us about this? Yeah, he didn't. (laughs) He he works on uh, e-commerce packaging, I think. There you go. Um, But go on. We've got great companies doing advanced recycling, right? That next thing we always say, mechanical recycling is fantastic. That'll take us 50% of the way there to circular economy. We need advanced recycling for that other 50%. We've got companies like PyroWave that recently signed an agreement with Michelin Tires. They have microwave technology that'll depolymerize the plastics And so they're doing uh, a whole initiative with Michelin tires to see how they can recycle their their tires. We've got Green Mantra, another advanced recycler, doing some fantastic work transforming, um, you know, post-consumer plastics into materials used in the roofing sector and making roads and things like that. So a lot of innovation, a lot of exciting initiatives. I've just flagged three of them, and I'm sure the other, you know, 75 to 100 members will be like, why and you get my company name in there too, but uh, just lots of great work happening. That's very exciting. So what, you know, uh, what do you think should be the role of, uh, of government in, in pushing towards better recycling? Oh, how do you peel the onion on that? Because, you know, it's, it's never just about government. It's about, well, governments, but it's also industry. It's also um, it's also NGOs. Everyone has a role to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically on the governments, I'd say the role there is to help work uh, to work with industry to create the pathways to create the conditions for success for that circular economy. That may be the right regulatory environment so that we can have more investments in advanced recycling, that may be the right type of incentives for investments, that may be the kinds of streamlining of requirements, maybe around standards requirements, right? So you create consistency and you know, industry knows what they can expect, right? So you need a consistent environment to operate in. There are a lot of different things that government can do. The most important message would be do it collaboratively with industry. We're here to be partners. We want the same thing as, as, as everyone else, which is that circular economy. We have the leaders and the innovators prepared to invest. 
Um, let's focus on the priorities. Let's agree on what those priorities are and let's work together to make them happen. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying before. It, uh, the, uh, it's not just plastics, right? It's kind of like circularity is, is bigger than plastics. Um, I think that sometimes for us, it feels like we're in a fight with, <laughs> with, uh, with everyone, the rest of the world, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it feels almost like there's finger pointing like, oh, well, it should be this person's responsibility or I'm going to cut out plastics altogether or, you know, but, um, you know, so yes, that the collaboration, I think, is it has to be the key. Right. And that it's much bigger than just just the government or just the the um, molders or, you know, processors and, and resin suppliers and, and, you know, the consumer, too. It's everybody working together and the MRFs, you know. Absolutely. It's a full plastics value chain, but it's also all of the market segments that use plastics. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and and I guess the other thing I would say is that um, I think a a helpful government is a government that is um, looking at how to help drive innovation, is looking at, at how to help develop solutions, not simply being against something or punitive towards an industry, but rather enabling the solutions. And I'd say that is the forward-looking approach that we would look for from governments. Yeah. My hashtag that, yeah. My hashtag that I created was bills, not bans. (laughs) (laughs) Can I steal that? I like it. Okay. (laughs) Hashtag bills, not bans. (laughs) No, I like that because I think that gets, I think the government part of it does kind of get skipped over when the conversation about sustainability and circular economy and all that kind of stuff gets brought up. It's, it's kind of a plastic needs to do this or, you know, consumers need to do this. And I think, you know, creating those incentives in the, you know, the forward thinking path um, does clear a lot of some of those old mindsets sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think any of us are well served by increasing polarization, whether that's within governments, between governments, between industry and government, society and government, like whatever the polarization points, the, the multiple, you know, uh, way. I don't think we're served by that because at the end of the day, it means we're not trying to understand each other. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can have a path forward, the only way to do that is through ongoing dialogue, is to try and understand the pain points as well as the opportunities to try and figure out how you overcome barriers and overcome problems rather than introducing new ones. So I, I think it's through that dialogue and finding that common ground that that's how we'll achieve success and, and not through um isolation or polarization. So I shouldn't ask who's better uh has better government policy towards recycling US or Canada. <laughs> Don't ask that question. You know what? Each of our jurisdictions is actually um excelling in different ways. We're in regular discussions with our colleagues, our counterparts in the US, the American Chemistry Council, they have the plastics division, then there's the plastics industry, right? Their industry association, we're in regular discussions with them. And there are phenomenal ways that industry and the associations uh, are leading in the US or governments are leading. Like there are amazing, uh, there are 10 US states, for example, uh, that if 
put in place uh, excellent um, legislation to enable advanced recycling. So here's like a classic example how the problem you didn't know you were going to have, right, when you create new technology. Because we all went into this treating plastics as a waste, it gets treated as a facility, as a waste facility. Right. Ah, so all of the permitting you go through, all of the reviews, environmental reviews are all about waste facilities. But if you treat it like a manufacturing facility mm-hmm. as a resource, yeah. suddenly your frame of reference is entirely different. Mm-hmm. And so the U.S. has 10 states that have passed legislation recognizing that that frame of reference needed to change. If you want the future and you want to enable that future, you need to have the conditions for success to enable mm-hmm. it. And they've done that. We want to see similar work happen in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's part of what we're having in terms of our discussions with our provincial governments. Um, differently, I'd say in Canada, we've been pushing harder on having extended producer responsibility where industry will pay for and manage recycling systems. That discussion is perhaps more at its nascent stages in the U.S. So not commenting on whether it's the right approach for the U.S. I'm just saying we've, we've you know, had opportunities right. to um, evolve our conditions for success a little differently, some areas in common, some a little differently, depending on the policy environment we operate in. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you know, it, it's fascinating that the paradigm shift that has to happen to get to that point, right, with, um, I mean, Nike is a good example of that. What, I'm referring to what you were saying about um, treating the, the, these, places as waste facilities when it's really production facility. So the Nike space hippie shoe comes to mind, right? If you're familiar with the NC2 yes. manufacturing where they're using their own waste and they're using it um, as this um, to create this amazing new coveted product. And you have to think with where we're trending now and, and space travel, that that is the, the kind of a new sustainability model that we're going to have to start using that kind of NC2 using your own waste manufacturing. Mm-hmm. But. Absolutely. I mean, I think all, all citizens around the world want to see greater efficiency for the resources that are used, right? And, and part of that is reuse. Mm-hmm. Part of that is waste. Right. I shouldn't have even reduction. called it waste. Exactly. <laughs> at, at a minimum, it's waste reduction, if not full elimination through reuse, right? right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It should yeah. not be waste. I, I, I get mad at people for saying single-use plastics. It's like that plastic technically can be used many more times, single. right? Yeah. yeah, well, and, you know, there you go. There's another false dichotomy. If yeah. we had a circular economy, there would be no such thing as single use plastics. Right. So we're having this big public debate over something that doesn't actually need to exist if we make the right investments in circular economy. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, Eleanor Mantegaris, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. This was was truly a delight. Um, but perhaps you know we'll we'll see each other at at uh, some some event in the future. Um, this was this was really really wonderful. I love this conversation. Well, yes. thank you for having me on your your podcast. It's been a delight speaking with you, and uh, I look forward to future opportunities. All right, thank you so thank much. Bye bye. Oh. Plastics.